We finally have a guideline, a medical guideline that was developed by uh, Canadian, a network of Canadian doctors for managing opioid use disorder. Now, opioid use disorder is a public health emergency, and uh, it's very important that we work very quickly to counteract it. Uh, we're joined by now by Dr. Uh, Varani, who is an assistant clinical professor at the Department of Medicine at the University of Alberta, to talk a little bit about these newly released uh, medical guidelines. I really appreciate Appreciate your time today, Doctor. Oh, it's my pleasure. First of all, th- these were published today in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. What do you think of the new medical guidelines? I, I think uh, they're probably the best guideline for the treatment of opioid use disorder uh, ever published in the world. Wow. Um, I think it's I think it's um, been a long time coming, and uh, the strength of the guidelines, in my view, is that um, it, it provides a whole host of options, medication-assisted treatment options for people with opioid use disorder. Um, like with any chronic condition, um, there's usually not a single treatment that uh, that works for everybody, um, or where the risks are managed best for everybody. Um, at every particular time. And so in my experience, you know, several patients will migrate between options for treatment of their opioid addiction or their opioid use disorder, um, depending on how the risk and benefits balance um, at any particular time during their recovery. I, you know, I, what I thought was interesting about this guideline is it almost seems counterintuitive to treat, you know, a prescription uh, addiction with um, more medication. But walk us through the uh, medication that the guideline recommends and why that is uh, such a great option for people addicted to opioids. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the most important thing I think that the guideline um, that the guideline says is that our tendency to force patients into abstinence-based detox from opioids um, causes far more harm than good. Uh, and the reason for that is that um, when a person is put into an abstinence-based detox program and then comes out after three or four or five days of abstinence. Um, and relapses, as most people do, to the use of opioids, the risk of killing them is extremely high. And so, you know, it makes no sense for us to spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in inpatient programs um, only to increase the risk of death. The, the, the treatments that reduce the risk of death and improve the chances of achieving abstinence from illicit opioid use and improve social productivity and reduce the contacts with the health and other social sectors are medication-assisted treatments. Um, And those would be uh, medications in the first line, like one called Suboxone or buprenorphine naloxone, um, which is a a fairly simple medication to work with. It should be available um, in primary care contacts as well, where you should be able to go and tell your family doctor, look, I'm struggling with these substances, either prescribed or unprescribed. Um, and I'm scared about what could happen. And the family doctor should be able to describe the treatment option of uh, using buprenorphine naloxone to um, reduce their cravings and withdrawals from opioids. And some patients um, don't uh, respond optimally to that medication, and so we may use uh, a different choice like methadone or now um, slow-release oral morphine to treat their opioid addiction in the context of structured programs. So does does uh, Suboxone, does it bind to the neuroreceptors that uh, an opioid would normally? Is that how it cuts the craving? Yeah, exactly. So so um, when, when a patient has been using opioids for a time, and, and we're learning more and more that it doesn't really need to be that long of a time before some people start to experience really intrusive cravings for these drugs or um, excruciating physical withdrawals. Um, and if we, if we give them... Uh, 
a medication that can occupy those same receptors without um, fully agonizing or fully turning on or activating those receptors to do the damage that opioids can do in overdose, um, then we can get rid of the intrusive cravings and excruciating withdrawals and allow the patient to function normally. Albuprenorphine, naloxone, or suboxone is a once-daily medication, or in some patients, once-every-two-days medication, that they can take fairly safety with a, uh, safely with a great profile in terms of um, risks and benefits. So the risk of a patient overdosing on suboxone is far, far lower than if they continued to use other opioids. And this is preferable to methadone? In most patients, yes. Um, But at the same time, I think the guideline is very clear that some patients don't respond optimally um, to suboxone. And we we need to, especially in this context where the downsides of continuing to use use illicit opioids are so high with a toxic supply containing fentanyl and whatever you have now in the, in the um, drug trade, um, that methadone and slow-release oral morphine should also be offered um, at a very low threshold for patients in whom the risks and benefits make sense. Do we need to, now we have the guidelines, the new medical guidelines, do we now have to focus on the public education, uh, you know, portion of dealing with fighting this opioid uh, public health emergency? Do we have to take the, you know, work on taking the stigma out of, uh, you know, the word addiction and, you know, addicts? I, I know we open up the phone lines a lot and talk radio and, you know, we talk about naloxone and first uh, responders having them. And I, you know, I know a few people that actually have kits at home now. Um, when we talk about that, there's always people that say, well, they're addicts, come on. You know, do we have to take the stigma out of being an addict now? Well, we definitely do, and we've got a lot of work to do in that regard. We've come some ways, though. I mean, earlier this year, uh, Angus Reid published a poll that showed that the, the majority of Canadians support supervised drug consumption services or supervised injection sites. The majority of Canadians feel like we need to be doing more on this opioid um, deaths epidemic. Um, and uh, I think that, that taking the stigma out of treatment as well um, will go a long way to, to uh, patients seeking out help for, for an embarrassing problem for a lot of people. That, all of that public awareness and education, though, will be stymied by the fact that, that, um, that drug use for substances in Canada remains um, not only illegal but criminal. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how hard it is um, for somebody who smokes to tell their their family doctor exactly how much they're smoking and it, that conversation would be filled with embarrassment as well. Um, imagine if what you had to tell your doctor was that the health behavior that you're participating in um, by definition makes you a criminal. Uh, that that stigma is impossible to overcome no matter how much we spend on education and try and, try and raise awareness about how widespread this problem is. The truth is that it affects every single demographic in this country. I've got patients who are, you know, upper middle class, um, uh, young people with a, with a promising future ahead of them um, who started recreationally using substances and became addicted. Um, you know, we've heard of deaths of, uh, of patients who are using drugs recreationally, and, you know, our criminal drug policy has very much translated into an extremely toxic drug supply that's easy to traffic and, unfortunately, much more likely to kill you. This all tracks back to um, non-evidence-based drug policy in our country and many others that's, uh, that's wreaking untold havoc. I really appreciate your time today, Dr. Verani. It's been a very enlightening chat. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Kelly.
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.